I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Ashley Miller, author and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. Her new book is What to Say to Kids When Nothing Seems to Work, a practical guide for parents and caregivers. If you've ever been told, I don't want to, I'm not talking to you, and you love my sister more, Dr. Ashley Miller has the fresh take you need when nothing seems to work. Bringing a little humor into the chaos of life with kids, parents will find real-life examples that help them understand their kids' behavior and emotions. She focuses on how parents can make educated guesses about what their children are feeling, how to validate those feelings, even to manage the current and future situations in a way that leaves everyone feeling better. Dr. Miller is a respected writer, speaker, media expert, and is featured regularly at professional conferences on air and in publications such as Today's Parent. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ashley. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Well, you're an adolescent psychiatrist. So as an adolescent psychiatrist, you spend, I assume, all day talking to kids, talking to the parents. Um, What do they tell you? What do they tell you, the kids, that they want their parents to say to them? Well, I actually work with kids from age 5 up until 19, and of course their families. And one thing that's really important for parents to know and caregivers to know is that kids really want their parents to be the main people that they turn to. And so when they tell me things, my goal is always to try to help them talk to their parents directly about it. And some of the things that kids tell us is that they really want their parents to listen just a little while longer. They really recognize the good intentions when their parents jump in to try to make them feel better or suggest a fix for their problem. And what they value even more is the space to think out loud, to talk it through, and then to have their parents sort of give them the amount of support that they need. So there's a little bit more space there. And are you saying that, the other thing? Yeah, I was going to say, more. just stopping there for a second. Are you saying kids want their feelings, their emotions, what they have to say, to be validated? And exactly. Yeah, exactly. To know that it makes sense in the eyes of their parent. And I mean, we all really want that as humans, right? If if you get cut off in traffic and you tell your best friend, she says, "Oh well." you probably shouldn't have been driving that fast. Anyway, you're not going to feel very good. So kids are the same. They, they want to know that we understand and that their behavior and their feelings make sense to us. Why do you think parents jump in? I mean, you gave the example, yeah, your girlfriend got a ticket or something. She drove too fast and we're more critical. Kids don't want to be criticized. And I think they're more vulnerable in terms of their emotions if their parents start Uh, giving them answers or criticizing them for what they did, then the kids aren't going to come back and and talk to them. But where does that need to jump in, come in uh, for us as parents? Because we don't want to do that. You're saying don't do that. That's not helpful. And we we just don't want to do it all the time because we're all going to do it. It it really is. We've been conditioned in large part that emotional pain – needs to be fixed and changed as quickly as possible. It's, it's really kind of a cultural expectation. So, and we're trying, as parents, we're trying so hard 
to do the right thing, to help our kids, to be there for them. And so when we see them in pain, we can feel like, okay, we've got to do whatever is in our power to take this away. And what the science is showing and what we're recognizing more and more is that being able to be with our kids through their difficult emotions is doing something. It's doing something profound. It's helping the brain actually shift and calm in the moment, and it's helping to build stronger connections for the future. By the time kids get to you or their parents or both of them together and they're coming to see you, they already, I assume, feel like they have serious problems and they're because they've gone, are going to a, a psychiatrist. So what is usually the presenting problem when they come to you? This is going to be well, a special see, group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, we, we see a range of issues from actually things that are fairly common, anxiety, uh, to things that are more serious. And we really wrote this book with every parent and caregiver in mind and not to address the more serious issues, but really to address the everyday issues and the toughest moments because we all have emotions. We all are happy sometimes, exuberant, sad, disappointed. So we want to be clear that it's, uh, it, there's nothing pathological about all those feeling states. In fact, that's the most human thing there is. Uh, and, and we do think that the strategies we've talked about in the book will also help families who are struggling uh, with their mental health, with um, behavioral issues. So it really, the strategies are good for everyone, but the book itself is really for any parent and caregiver. Given that, then if you read the book, maybe we don't have to come and see you. Just we won't get to that point, right? Which is a good thing. Well, Uh, well, um, mental health is so complicated, and it's really important to us as as mental health professionals. My co-author, Dr. LaFrance, is a psychologist. Very important to us that parents know that they do not cause mental health problems, and that there's no. Uh, easy fix through. If only I said this different thing to my kid, you know, maybe we wouldn't be here. That that is, it's so much more complex than that. So this is more about, um, you know, not doing these things. Definitely didn't get you and your child into the situation if you're having struggles. But these ways of responding to kids can help improve the relationship. And we know that the relationship, especially parent-child relationship, is a huge part of healing from mental health problems. So we're looking to parents as part of the solution, definitely not as part of the problem. And we'd never say that, that you know, this book or these strategies can fully, or even in large part, prevent mental health issues. But one of the things that the book does, it, as you say, it does offer hope, it's compassionate, and you do have what you call tried and true tips. So maybe let's be specific, you know, so we can all avail ourselves to what are those tips? What can we do? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So let's take a a very common example. Uh, Your child is sitting down at the kitchen table, poised to do their homework, and they say, I don't want to do my homework. So the the typical response as parents might be something like, well, you got to get it done. And again, you know, for a typical situation, Um, kid is feeling okay that day, probably going to be fine. But we all know sometimes uh, it it doesn't get better and the complaints escalate or maybe our child is having more struggles and needs more emotional support. So what we're suggesting is a different kind of response where we put their potential thoughts and feelings into words. 
and we say something instead like, well, you know, I, I can imagine why you might not want to do your homework because you'd rather be outside with your friends and it can take a while and writing stories just isn't your favorite thing to do. So that's, that's the essence of the first part of the approach, putting it into words. And it can be very tempting as a parent to say, one version of that to say, well, you know, I can imagine why you wouldn't want to do your homework because you'd rather be outside with your friends, but you got to get it done anyway. And what we're really advocating in our book is to go from but to because. So to resist the impulse to try to look on the bright side right away or to reassure right away or to say, well, it's not that big a deal and to instead use at least three reasons why our child's point of view makes sense. So that's the but to because. And then after that, of course, we may need to do practical things. We may give the reassurance that we plan to give in the first place. Uh, we may say something like, I, I know you can do this. You're a very hardworking kid and I'm here to support you. And we want to be practical. So all the things we might normally do, like set a timer so that the child knows, you know, get this done in 15 minutes and then you can go outside and play. Or we might set a harder limit and say this has to get done before dinner or else X. So we're not, we, we think it's very important that parents are practical and get things moving as they need to. What we're suggesting is really this extra step of putting the thoughts and feelings and urges, whatever it may be, into words and trying to understand the child's perspective to calm the brain, increase flexibility uh, before moving on to the practical supports. And what about if we feel just intuitively as a parent that maybe we need to take it one step further? Maybe our child, the reason they don't want to do their homework may not just because they want to go out and play with their friends. We get that. But what if you get a sense of maybe there's something else? Maybe they feel like they aren't, they, they aren't doing well in school or something happened with the teacher. How do we take it just one step, maybe delving into the situation a little bit more um, deeply with a kid? Oh, absolutely. I think that's such a wonderful point. So you can really put into words uh, whatever you think is going on. And you don't have to get it, quote unquote, right, because kids will let you know and the effort really counts here. So if you have a sense that maybe your child is struggling because the the work, the material is difficult or the relationship with the teacher that year is difficult, absolutely you can put that into words. You can, you can use an emotion word and say, man, like, I don't blame you for not wanting to do this homework because writing is actually really hard for you right now. And um, I know you want to do your absolute best, but it's got to feel very frustrating when you're trying to write and it just isn't coming out. And maybe even feel kind of sad that it seems easier for other kids. So absolutely, we can deepen it. We want to meet our child where they're at. So if a child is raging mad about the homework and we come in and say, like, I can see why you might feel sad because you're um, not very good at writing. I mean, I wouldn't put it that way. Uh, If we try to validate the sadness, but really they're angry, they're not going to feel that we get them so much. So we want to really meet them where they're at. And if your kid seems angry, then it's okay to start with that. And over time, it'll probably move into the, the more vulnerable feelings like sadness, anxiety, that kind of thing. Meet your child where they're at. That's really, you should, all parents really should have a sign in the kitchen uh, on their bulletin board. Meet your child where they're at. That's really what it, 
I, I think what it is all about. So what are some of the other examples? Okay, that would be doing homework. There are some that when the kid says, well, here's one, because I think this is probably quite common, and I know you address this in the book. Uh, Mom, don't go to work. I don't want you to go to yeah. work. Stay home. Oh, such a such a tug on the heartstrings. And, you know, and sometimes it's dad, don't go to work. Grandpa, don't go to work. And so in that situation, again, the typical response may be more to say, well, you're okay. You know, you're a big girl now. Um, mommy's going to take care of you. It's all, it's fine. Um, and some parents will think, you know, I'm just not going to tell them. I'm, I'm just going to leave. And what we're encouraging is, again, being able to put into words the emotions for the child. Because kids, they, they haven't yet developed those words, the capacity to really understand what's going on with them. So rather than kind of responding just to that plea, we want to respond to the underlying emotions and needs. So for example, to say, hey, kiddo, I hear that it's hard for you that I'm going, and I can imagine you might be a little bit worried about going to school today and how it's going to go with your friends and your teacher, and I'm right there at work, and I will be happy to talk with you all about it and hang out and play a game after school. So again, it's, it's this putting into the words rather than trying to side skirt it because it feels bad for us when we can open it up and really put it into words. That helps the child to A, understand what's happening, but also to really feel heard and acknowledged and it soothes the anxiety that they feel. Yeah, and I think one thing it does when you have that kind of an answer as opposed to parents who mean well but get defensive. Well, if I don't go to work, you're not going to be able, to, we're not going to be able to take a vacation or look at, right. you know, <laughs> you bought new clothes or we're going out to eat yeah. next weekend. And that's, yeah. those aren't great responses, right? That's very different than what you're talking about. Well, and of course, because as parents, you know, we are doing our best. We're working so hard. And so to hear what feels like a complaint, a criticism when we've done so much, when we're trying so hard, it really hits us in the gut sometimes. And so it's a reorientation to, you know what, this isn't actually about me as a parent. I'm not doing anything wrong here. My child is struggling with something. And when we can separate out ourselves from our child and look at the child and think, oh yeah, this is about them. This is about their needs. Then it it puts us in a much better position to help them with that. And it, we also need to take a moment sometimes for ourselves just to feel like, ouch, that really hurts. And I've really appreciated the work of um, Dr. Kristen Neff around self-compassion and other, um, Christopher Germer, other people who really work in this field, because I think parents need those in-the-moment strategies to notice and be kind to ourselves because it is not hard when a kid says that to you. So to just ignore your, your own reaction and say, oh, I should be fine, I should help my kid, I don't think that's realistic. I think we need to give ourselves also the space to say internally, man, that, that hurt me. That's hard. And, and then we are in a better position to respond the way we might want to. In other words, we need to be honest with our feelings, parents do, and hope to generate those honest feelings from our children as well. You've got another one that I think sounds like adolescence, uh, and I think that I probably used to say that myself to my parents. You know, I hate my life. I just hate my life. 
uh, and you're looking at your kids and you're thinking, oh, how can you hate your life? You want to, again, you want to strike back. But so how do we respond right. to that one? Yeah, again, same thing. I hate my life is usually code for I'm really overwhelmed right now and I don't know what to do about it. And so, I mean, of course, if you have any inkling or sense that your child may actually be having any kind of thoughts of suicide, self-harm, then you need to see a medical professional. So the the book, the example in the book is is not intended for more serious situations in any uh, way, shape, or form. But uh, many healthy kids will say that to their parents at some point. And so let's, and often it's when things aren't going well in multiple domains. So again, we want to put ourselves in our child's position. Maybe their life on the surface is 100 times better than ours was growing up. And we have to remember, again, it's not a criticism of us and what we're doing or not doing for them. It's a reflection of the child's um, feelings. So we may say something like, well, I don't blame you for being so upset about your life right now because you didn't make the soccer team and you were really looking forward to it and you worked so hard to make it. And it's been pretty tough at school with your friends lately too. So I get why it would feel like life is just not your friend right now. And let's figure out together some ways that things can look a little brighter for you. And so you don't, you don't need to repeat the exact words um, you don't want to certainly dive like deeper into the despair in that way, but you want to go somewhere in there with them because if we just stay on the surface and say either, what are you talking about? You have a great life or, oh, come on, it's not that bad. Then the brain actually becomes more entrenched in that position and the feelings go up. Feelings naturally rise and fall. So I hate my life, you know, is usually a moment of despair, not a, not a constant thing. And if we can go into it with our child just enough, recognize the good in them, it will rise and fall and pass. And the connection with us is one of the main ingredients that's going to help them get through that difficult moment. So don't say to them, wait, do you get out into the real world? <laughs> because I've heard that. <laughs> if you think yeah, this and, is bad, <laughs> wait, do you? I mean, these things... These things are going to come out of our mouths, and they're not the end of the world. I mean, that's the other thing we really want to impress upon everyone who's reading this or any other parenting book, for that matter, is, like, we cannot be robots, nor should we be. And it's never too late, if you've said something that you don't love, to go back. And we have a chapter called The Do-Over in this situation, uh, where you go back and you say, hey, I know before when I said, well, wait till you hit the real world, what I really should have said was, I can imagine why you might feel like you hate your life right now because it's been really hard at school and because you tried so hard for the soccer team. And so it's not too late, whether you have a toddler, teenager, your child is 42 years old. We, we teach these um, ideas to parents and caregivers of all um, ages because it really never is too late. We all, kids always want to reconnect. And to be understood and validated by your parent, regardless of how old you are, is always a very healing and positive experience. Yeah, I think that's probably the most important chapter in the book. It's so good you have that in there, the do-over. Because how many times do you call your girlfriends and you 
you know, you've been tired or exhausted and you yelled at the kids or did all the things you're saying we probably shouldn't do. And you think it's as a parent, it's the end of the world, but it's not. You can do it over. You can go back and talk to them. And that's so important to remember, I think, not just talking to your friends or your partner, or but go back and talk to your child about it. Hey, Absolutely. So I I love what you're saying. So the first part in there, which we also recommend in the book, is to phone a friend. Parents often feel this sense of shame or isolation or guilt. And then we don't tell anyone about the things we said that we're not as proud of. But if you can phone a friend, that relieves your own shame. It also helps you regulate your nervous system so you can get back in the fray and help your kid. So I love that. And also the idea that we're human. In fact, it's not just good enough to go back to your kid after. That is the best way of doing things. Relationships become stronger when we miss the mark and then come back. And it also shows our kids that it's okay for things to not always be perfect. We want our kids to know that if they make a mistake or they have a faux pas with their friend or whatnot, that they can come back to it and make amends. So there is everything good about the do-over. And it is my favorite chapter too, I have to say. <laughs> well, here's another chapter, okay? Because I think this is uh, this relates to a lot of families. Uh, you, you have an actual chapter on uh, co-parenting or managing disagreements between co-parents. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's probably critical considering what 50, 60% of the population are divorced. So this fits right into the, the, the cultural way of how do you handle this when co-parents disagree on how to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, again, you know, nothing can get you as a parent riled up faster and in less of a good space to manage your child than when you're getting criticized by the other adult involved. And so we wanted to put a chapter in there about this uh, because I think it's a value to parents, co-parents, whether they're single, married, divorced, whether you're co-parenting with a parent of yours, um, you know, adults, what happens when a child is struggling is adults get polarized. So one of the examples we have in the book, or I think this one is in there, uh, is if you're, one parent is cutting the, the, the crust off of bread for the child and the other parent comes in and says, oh, you're, you're really babying him. You know, you're, you're way too soft. So, of course, as a parent, uh, you're going to, feel defensive around that. And we're not saying you should just necessarily take it or not say anything, but if you can um, validate your co-parent's point of view, it can work like magic uh, to bring you together instead of tearing you apart and becoming even more polarized. So if you can say, well, I can understand why you might worry about me cutting off the bread because you really want him to be independent one day and how is he ever going to be able to cook for himself, take care of himself if he can't even handle cutting off his own crust. I mean, it's a trivial example, but that's, that's the kind of thing that happens. And to recognize, you know, we're all on the same team and we have a, we have a chart in the book for just some sort of ground rules around handling upset kids when you're co-parenting, uh, those could be useful for some people who like to have, you know, a set of uh, standards for themselves ahead of time. But really the principle is if you can, you know, try to see the good intention behind what your co-parent is doing too. Because as much as your relationship may at times be in conflict, 
by and large, parents want to do the best for their kids, you know, yeah. by and large. Yeah, that's that's great advice. That is true. And you've got to I really have to step back from that. And, and I think uh, in those kinds of situations, both of you want the best for your kid, as you say, 99% of the time. Um, okay, this is probably the last one because we have about three minutes left. But Here's the big one. When one of your kids says, you know, oh, you love my brother, you love my sister better than you love me. You always let them do this. You don't let me do that. I know you love her more. (laughs) What do we do about that? Right. So, again, it's another uh, one that really gets us in the gut because, of course, you want to say, no, I don't. I love you both exactly the same. And yet, for the child who's saying that, they're feeling, for whatever reason, that, that some need is not being met in that moment. And so, again, we want to come alongside them and put into words their perspective. I can imagine why you might feel that I love your sister more because she and I have a lot in common. We've gone shopping a few times recently, and you and I just haven't had as much time to connect lately. And I want to tell you that I love you to bits. And even though we may not have the exact same interests, that doesn't change that at all. And I'm wondering if maybe we can go shoot some hoops later today and just kind of make that a bit more of our weekly routine. So that's an example of, again, putting it in words and then following up with some practical ideas. I think sometimes parents, I think if they're really honest, you love all your kids the same, but you might get along, maybe easier to get along with one child than the next, just because of personality differences, which doesn't have to do with love. It just has to do mainly with, uh, with personality. Or, uh, so that's kind of hard to explain to kids, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is hard. And yet kids have amazing radar for what's going on. You know, we often think as parents, we're protecting them, we're, uh, we're keeping it all a secret. And with younger kids, for sure, you, you do need to have a couple of things that are really at the adult level only. But as kids get older, if we can let them know a little bit about reality, then that, um, that helps them because it doesn't feel like there's all this secret and dance, and they, they can sense it anyway. What, what actually makes them more anxious is when there's a real discrepancy between what they perceive with their senses and what we're telling them. So, it, you know, it, it, it's not wrong to say that it is a little easier for me to understand your sister because we both love um, shopping, we both love fashion, we both love reading novels and you're really into sports and you're really into other things and you know that because that's just the truth and that honesty that little bit of transparency is actually connecting so yeah, transparency showing- and honesty i hate to cut you off because this yeah. is uh, no, no, there, okay. there are so many practical things and obviously there's much more in the book so i want to ma- mention the book again because we have one minute left and i want to you can give us a website we can go to but what to say to kids when nothing seems to work a practical guide for parents and caregivers and the author of the book we've been talking to her today is dr ashley miller it's been really a pleasure but so give us the websites or one sure. website yeah, yeah. so uh the, what to say to kids.org and the twos are the number two. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Lots of good advice. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 